Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Christina Stathopoulos, and I will be your host today. I am dedicated to the world of data. After over five years at Google, I recently left to explore the entrepreneurial path as an independent consultant and public speaker. I am also an academic director and professor of analytics at IE Business School and ISDE. We are joined today by Lior Gavish, co-founder and CTO at Monte Carlo. And we're going to be talking about establishing trust through data observability. Welcome, Lior. How are you doing today? Hi, Christina. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about the show. Of course, me too. And it's it's wonderful to have you on. So thank you very much for your time. Um, could you start by introducing yourself? So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you and your team do at Monte Carlo. Yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Lior. I'm um, originally from Israel, but I've been living in California for the last uh, 12 years or so. Um, I'm a software engineer by training and, and by trade, and I am uh, the co-founder of a company called uh, Monte Carlo. Uh, we're the data observability company, so we basically help data people, so data engineers, data analysts, and data scientists, and we basically help them build reliability and trust uh, into their products, whether it's analytics or machine learning models or products based on analytics. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll talk a, a lot about it today and, and uh, excited for the show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to hearing more about the company, about Monte Carlo and all of this, this data reliability or, or observability space, because I've, he- I've been hearing tons of buzz about this lately. Um, but first, I would love to start by taking a step back. So looking at the data engineering and the analytics space as a whole, what do you foresee as the overarching trends as we kick off this new year, 2023? Great question. You know, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but um, I think, you know, we're, we're all uh, re- reading the news about the the overall um, kind of financial uh, changes and, and, and potentially a recession. And we're definitely seeing companies thinking more about, about their expenses uh, and, and their businesses in, in, in new ways. Uh, so so I, can't, I, I personally can't help but thinking about how that's going to, to affect data teams. I think the good news, and, and we're seeing it across our, our companies, uh, the companies that we help, overall, uh, the investment in data hasn't fallen at all. In fact, people are continuing to invest in data. Uh, or are con- continuing to see that as a strategic part of their business and an opportunity to both, you know, grow revenue and, and reduce costs. And so overall, we've seen uh, data teams largely unaffected in terms of budget or layoffs or, or things like that. And that's exciting. Having said that, going into you know, 2023, it does look like, and I would expect to see a little bit more scrutiny, if you will, around how data teams uh, operate and, and what value they deliver to businesses. And I think there's just going to be a higher bar and more asks uh, from the data team to drive meaningful impact on the on the companies that, that they serve, um, just like any other function, actually. And 
I think that's going to translate into, you know, more focus on on how to get the most ROI from the investments that have been made in the in the last few years, and both in, in infrastructure and tooling and technologies, and also in hiring data professionals and and in building teams and and etc. And so I think uh, data teams are just going to have to focus more on the core. Uh, parts of their mission on the things that are delivering the most value to their business, which means just more productizing things, right? Like maybe uh, less experimentation, less projects that could or could not result in impact uh, and more focus on taking the things that are working and and productizing them and and fully realizing their potential. And so I think, you know, or, you know, it's a trend that's been exist, you know, it's been around for for a while now. I think it's going to, to get stronger of kind of, productizing data, making it a product, uh, which means that companies are going to consider hiring or nominating more data product managers, right? It's an exciting new role that some, some of the most forward-looking companies uh, take on. It's like a person that, that is actually accountable to deriving impact from data and understanding how it impacts it, you know, the, the internal and external stakeholders and uh, translating in, into uh, meaningful projects. And we're going to see probably, I mean, I'm biased, but uh, more focus on, on reliability and trust, right? As you productize data, you need to make sure that people get what they expect from the product and consistently so. And so you're going to have to make sure that that you're delivering high quality, highly reliable uh, analytics, high quality, highly reliable models and high quality, high reliability data applications. And, and there's lots of different ways to, to, to accomplish that. And, and I think teams will... Uh, will invest in that, whether it's in, in their operational model and in how they think about about reliability, and whether it's it's implementing both tools and, and ideas around and around how to accomplish that, starting from data contracts. I know it's been a, a, a big topic of conversation recently. I think it will continue to be uh, strong going into 2023, and 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 of course, data observability, which is is what we focus on at at, at in Monte Carlo. It's a it's a very important part of getting trust in quality and data. And so, you know, we're, we're definitely expecting or in, and continuing to see the, the trend getting stronger and stronger. Got it. Super interesting, Lior, by the way. I've been taking notes. I love the, I love the insights. So um, just to quickly summarize what you've said and the main messages that I've got is that, of course, we've all got these financial changes top of mind, this impending um, recession and expenses and costs are top of mind for companies. Um, but luckily for us data professionals, it sounds like um, investment in data has not fallen at all. I've, I've noticed a similar trend, so I can confirm that. Um, and largely, the, the data teams seem to be largely unaffect, unaffected, which is great. But um, there may be more scrutiny around how these data teams operate and the value that they're delivering and more focus on getting more ROI out of what these data teams are doing and um, productizing the data. And with this production production of the data projects or or data um, assets and so on, the growth of the data project manager. Um, And with all of this as well, you mentioned, of course, more of a focus on reliability and trust in our data particularly to get these data projects off of the ground. Um, and this is the point that I want to focus on, um, the, the data reliability and trust. 
and data observability. Um, all of this is a problem that your company is tackling. So tell me first, what inspired you and your fellow co-founder to start Monte Carlo? Oh, uh, I, I love that question. It brings up um, good memories. Good time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so basically, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, uh, background about what I did before. After grad school, I, start, I started a company in the, in the cybersecurity space. It later got acquired by what was then a public company called Barracuda. And then for a while, for a few years prior to starting Monte Carlo, I was at Barracuda. Um, I ended up running the, the engineering team there. And a lot of my time was dedicated to building what was then the, the, the next generation products for Barracuda. And, and specifically, we were implementing uh, methods based on machine learning and analytics to solve certain kinds of fraud uh, that were very prevalent with our customers and that were very, very difficult to, to solve using kind of a more traditional rule-based approach. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And when Bar and I, Bar is my co-founder, uh, we're also married, by the way. Uh, when Bar and I were oh, talking, there's there's a, a love story behind this. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, and when Bar and I were uh, were, were were chatting about uh, some things that we we, we might want to tackle together, um, you know, I, I was thinking back about my time at Barracuda and and the products we were building, and and specifically the times we were actually disappointing our customers, right? Um, like the times where, where the products that we were building didn't deliver what, what um, you know, the value that our customers expected us to deliver. And thinking about those times, I actually realized that more frequently than not, um, it wasn't like the, the traditional kind of stuff that me as a software engineer thinks about in terms of reliability, um, like, you know, bugs and, and infrastructure problems and, and application issues and, and things and scale issues, all these things actually were dwarfed uh, by the number of times we disappointed our customers because of the data aspect of the application, right? It was highly dependent on analytics, highly dependent on machine learning. And that entire part that was so core to, to, to our product was, was breaking often. And when I thought about it, I just realized that it's not that we were so great at managing infrastructure and, and applications. It's just that there was a pretty well-established methodology around it, broadly called DevOps, right? And a lot of tooling that actually helped us manage the reliability of those aspects of our application, right? So we could, uh, we could measure how healthy our application is. If something happened, we could respond to it. We, we had the right tools to identify what's broken. And so we can manage it to, to a certain, you know, SLA or service level agreement. But the data side of the house uh, was a little bit of a wild west. Like there was no, you know, we didn't have, there wasn't like an industry established methodology to do this um, and certainly not any tooling around it. And so that, that kind of sparked the idea of like, oh, is, is there room? I mean, we both believe, Bar and I believe that, data is going to be more important and people are going to build more things on top of data and they're going to use data in, in more significant ways. That's not a controversial idea. Uh, but the thing that struck us was that, you know, data people are going to have to do basically the same things that the software engineers do, which is to manage the reliability of what they're building, right? Like 
when you're putting a, a product in, in other people's hands, you know, maybe the first requirement is that it, it does what it's supposed to, right? And then the immediate second requirement is that it does so consistently uh, and works, um, you know, at a, at a high level of reliability, right? Otherwise, people don't, just don't trust it and end up not using it, right? And so this, this idea, and, and, and um, you know, uh, we, we have a short show today, uh, but uh, Abar has a similar story from her angle. She was running operations for an enterprise software company and, and was actually helping a lot of the, that company's customers set up an, an analytics stack, what was essentially an analytics stack. And she similarly struggled with reliability issues and with earning the trust of, of, of her customers. Uh, and so it kind of resonated really strongly with that, with, with both of us. And, you know, the, the next thing we asked ourselves was, do we really just suck at our jobs? Like, are we just not good at, at building products and, and reliable ones at, at that? And, and so we went out there and we, we talked to probably over a hundred data teams uh, in the industry. And it was just striking that they were all struggling, like virtually all of them were struggling with the same issues, right? Everybody, you know, is building things. Everybody's wanting their stakeholders to use those things, to use those things consistently and to trust it. And everybody's struggling to actually do that. And everybody's spending so much time trying to solve that problem. And there isn't like an established way to do so. And so it's just, it, it was almost, self-evident that that you know that there's an opportunity to to tackle that problem and to you know first thing you know define the methodology and the methods and and the operational discipline and operational rhythm and then also to to uh to provide the technical uh solutions and and the tooling that would help teams implement that first of all super inspiring and interesting origin story and i love that there's a love story behind it um, and it sounds like you both realize that products didn't deliver the value that customers expected really due to a fault in the data aspect um, and i can say as a data professional myself i can definitely relate with what you are talking about and i think it works really well starting a company when you can so closely relate to the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, so going more along these lines, how would you say that teams can get started with this type of solution? And also what should teams ideally be looking out for? So yeah, great question. Um, how can teams get started with? And, and at that, you know, at this point, it's maybe worthwhile to, to explain where most teams are before they adopt uh, a data observability solutions. So uh, most teams, uh, at least the ones that we work with, you know, have already um, adopted a certain data stack, right? They've chosen their, their data warehouse and their ETL tool and their, you know, BI tool and, and, and other elements of the stack that, that are critical to their work. And not all teams, but most teams have already implemented some steps to take care of data quality, right? And, and typically it will take the form of, you know, running basic testing or data quality checks in, in certain critical uh, parts of their pipelines. And sometimes using tools like, um, you know, like DBT testing or great expectations or, or, or other uh, capabilities. And then we come in when that, uh, when that approach reaches the, the, the limitations, right, of scale, uh, typically, right? Um, at some point, it gets really difficult 
to write all these data quality checks uh, and all these tests. Uh, it takes up a lot of time from a lot of people. It gets really difficult to manage. And actually, a lot of things start slipping through, right? Because there's just a limit to uh, how much one can anticipate all the things that could go wrong in a in a sufficiently complex um, data stack, right? And and that's when people usually start thinking about a more uh, scalable approach to this. And and Christina, you, you asked like how do teams get started with observability and and what they should be looking for, and so. Basically, we're borrowing a lot of the concepts from uh, the world of, of, of application and infrastructure observability, and kind of going uh, on the you know in the footsteps of of the tools that that inspired us as software engineers, things like Datadog or or New Relic. The idea is that you basically connect the observability tool to all the different pieces of your data stack, right? Be it the warehouse or the lake. Uh, the BI tool that you're using, uh, the orchestration layer, whether it's DBT or Airflow or, or something else. Um, and, you and, and you proactively collect a lot of information from all of those different pieces. Um, the, the reason is that any part of the system can break. And also, any part of the system can uh, be extremely helpful in understanding why things break. So these are really two, two very important concepts. Uh, in observability. The first is that you need to proactively collect a lot of information from the entire system in order to understand its health. Actually trying to instrument every single table that you have and every single metric and every single part of your pipeline separately is hard to scale and, and hard to anticipate, right? And we talked about it uh, around testing. And so you want to collect all the information you possibly could upfront so you have it in case something breaks or in case you need to understand why it broke. And then uh, and, and you need to do that you know, end to end across your stack. And then if you have logs and metadata and metrics, uh, you can actually consistently monitor the system, right? You can proactively understand whether something is anomalous and proactively alert the team about it, right? So uh, if something breaks anywhere, you want the data team to be advised about it rather than, you know, getting a, an angry phone call from, uh, from someone using your dashboard. And the second thing is you want all the information you would need in order to drill in and troubleshoot and triage and understand what happened, right? And, and, and this is something that, that teams struggle with if they don't have observability in place. You know, it's both finding out about the issue very late and from an angry customer and when things break and when you find out, sometimes spending somewhere between hours and, and sometimes weeks to figure out what happened. And so a good observability tool would actually uh, solve both of, this pro both of these problems, um, notifying as early as something happens, you know, via Slack or email or, or, or whatever it is that, that you're using to communicate and giving you all the information you need to accelerate uh, resolution and 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 get things back to normal. Now, if you can manage these two, these two numbers, right, the 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 time to detection and time to resolution, you can overall optimize uh, what what we've come to call data downtime, uh, which is the the time uh, overall where 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 your data products are, are are not usable, where they're basically down from the perspective of of the people using them.
Got it. I'm taking some notes now. Um, so it's all about minimizing data downtime. Um, and you were speaking about how like the, the goal of this is to proactively collect information to understand the health of your entire data pipeline in case it breaks and also to understand why it's breaking. And then you talked about proactively alerting the data team about issues. And what you want is to have all of the information needed to triage and resolve this before it gets to a customer ultimately. So all about, like you said, minimizing data downtime. And you kind of spoke to this as well, but as we're speaking about getting a solution like this up and running, what's the difference between like, when does this make sense to implement versus when does it not make sense for a team? Like, what's the point that we know that it makes sense or, or, or should they always be considering something like this? You know, I, I would say, you know, every person building a, product needs to be thinking about how to you know manage the 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 implicit or explicit uh service level agreements around it right you need to think about how you're going to get trust from your from the people consuming what you're building but 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 you allude to an important point like observability is not always the the right solution or the necessary solution if you will i think maybe the key things to look at are probably like first and foremost uh, maybe the, the size of the data team, the number of pe- people building the system. Usually uh, when it's just one person or, or a handful of people, which which is how we all start, there's enough shared context, there's enough communication. People know enough about how the system works that it maybe doesn't break that frequently. And if it does, it's easy for any one of the individuals to to identify that something is broken and to quickly solve it because they really have the full context. Once you start getting into larger teams, uh, where large is maybe starting with four data engineers or five data engineers or some somewhere around there, that gets more complicated, right? Uh, people are starting to build things without fully understanding their unintended consequences. Suddenly not everybody knows how everything works. And so it gets more difficult to know that something's wrong or to, to fix it. And so observability is something you typically adopt when you're growing your, your data engineering team beyond the kind of initial, you know, one or two engineers. The, the other thing to look at actually is the criticality of, of data, right? If you actually don't care about it, it's, it's surprising uh, and it's, it's increasingly a minority, but some companies actually don't use data a ton or, or don't use it for, for anything that's crucial or critical for the business. And then, you know, for those types of companies, maybe it doesn't make sense to invest in, in, in having reliable data, right? Um, and then finally, the, the scale of the data system matters. Uh, again, if, you're, if you have a handful of tables and a handful of dashboards around them, uh, the level of complexity is probably not going to create critical reliability issues and troubleshooting them is not going to be extremely difficult if something happens. But when you start getting into dozens of tables, hundreds of tables, and, and some of our customers actually have hundreds of thousands of tables and, and similarly dashboards and reports and machine learning models and whatnot, when you get to that scale, things start getting more complicated, breakages are more frequent, breakages are harder to understand. Uh, and so that's where you you want to start thinking about um, ad- adopting an, a, a data observability solution. That makes sense. So smaller teams, smaller processes, smaller scale systems where 
everybody understands the full context. They may not need observability, but once it starts to become more like complex ecosystem, lots of data tables and dashboards and so on, then that's where um, data observability can really can really change things. So I have one last big question for you because I always like to bring these conversations closer to reality. So can you walk us through a successful use case? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So well, one of the cool uh, cool use cases that, that, that I really like, uh, and it, it, it ties to, to uh, the recent news around the storms in the United States and, and all, the, all the impact it had on, on flights and airlines. Um, so actually one of our, one of our customers is, is JetBlue. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relatively large airline uh, here in the United States. And JetBlue, other than their uh, airline activities, they're also, they happen to be the biggest instance of DBT out there, at least as far as, as, as we know. They have thousands and thousands of DBT models. They actually are a very data-driven organization. In fact, data is is a key aspect of how they deliver service to their customers. When anything happens to a flight, um, when there's any change of schedule or weather, any individual need, needing to make a change of their flights, they heavily use data to make sure that uh, they're operating efficiently and that people actually get to where they need to go, right? So their team, every time you talk to, you know, to a JetBlue person or any time a JetBlue employee makes a change to a flight, you know, it all, uh, it all runs through the data platform and through the data systems, uh, which, which allows JetBlue to have like a, 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 one of the best uh, service levels in the industry. And so uh, when something breaks with data at JetBlue, it actually has a lot of real world impact and it could dramatically affect people's lives and, and the, the, their per- perception of, of JetBlue's service. And so the way they used to do it is, uh, or manage the reliability of their data, they actually used to have a team of people staring at dashboards all day long to basically double check and sanity check and and make sure that the data is right. They then augmented it with a lot of DBT tests to, you know, to, to essentially automate some of that work where, where they could. But again, as as we as we mentioned earlier, those approaches are, are really difficult to scale and they have the, the largest DBT instance in, in the industry. And so they found themselves wasting a lot of time and sometimes letting uh, you know, data issues slip through and, and, and affect the, the company's operations. And so th- they, they, they actually adopted Monte Carlo and they, they adopted it in a, in a very meaningful way. And now whenever anything happens in their data, uh, their team actually immediately gets a Slack message you know, they respond to it. They immediately triage and investigate. If there's any action necessary, uh, you know, they'll they'll notify their stakeholders. Then they'll they'll make sure that people are aware that something's broken. They'll you know go ahead and find all the information they need to to, to fix the issue and to react to it. And so that's uh, that's been such a, a great story that 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 I really love, and and we've we've actually been able to to have a lot of impact. 
Yeah, that's a very timely story given everything going on in the U.S. with the airline issues lately. So um, I think more airlines outside of JetBlue need to listen to this conversation of ours. Um, but since we are coming towards the end and we're wrapping up, do you have any last words for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you're interested in, in, in these topics and, and want to learn more, We've, we've put together a lot of our learnings. We've, we've interviewed more than 100 data teams before we even started the company. And ever since we've been actually able to serve and implement uh, Monte Carlo in, 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 in hundreds of organizations. And we've captured a lot of our learnings and, and, and a lot of the lessons learned in, in a book that got published by O'Reilly uh, last year in 2022. Uh, it's the first book. It's the first O'Reilly book on on data reliability, it's called Data Quality Fundamentals. And, and we're happy to offer it for free. If you, if you go to our website, uh, montecarlodata.com, uh, you can get a free copy of the book. Otherwise, if you really want to pay, you can uh, go to Amazon and, and, and order it there. But we, we'd love to hear from you and, and get your feedback. Perfect. So Data Quality Fundamentals, I have noted it down. I'll make sure to read it very soon. Um, so thank you again, Lior, for all of your great insight today. It's been really a fascinating conversation. I've personally learned a lot. Thank you, Christina. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. Remember that if you would like more information on what we've discussed, make sure you head on over to montecarlodata.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. So until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com.